Welcome to Know Your Bible, a program presented by the Churches of Christ and devoted to helping you understand God's Word. The Bible is a book inspired by God that contains answers to your questions. The Bible reveals Jesus and explains His sacrifice, contains God's plan for the family, and timeless principles of parenting. Also has the truth about life and death. The Bible contains great financial advice and also answers questions of morality. Join us as we look for answers to your questions and help you know your Bible. Welcome back to Know Your Bible. Glad you've joined us this morning. Glad you're ready to study the Bible a bit. That's the goal of this program is to help us all know our Bible a little bit better. And we do that by just answering questions on Know Your Bible. You'll notice there's a phone number and a website at the bottom of the screen. You can use those any time to get in touch with us and ask a question. Uh, we've got some study tools that we'll talk about later. If you want some of those, you can use those numbers. But uh, mainly if you've ever wondered anything about the Bible, uh, is something in the Bible or is this really in there? We'll try to find an answer for you. You might have something going on in your life or reading the news and you wonder, what's the Bible say about that? We'll try to find you an answer. So that's what we do here and you direct us. You tell us what you'd like us to talk about. And Toby and I will try to answer those questions. Good morning, Toby Levering. Hi, Steve. Howdy. I'm Steve Tandy, and we're going to answer as many questions as we can today, but we always have one for our viewers just to get started. So here's a little bit of Bible trivia for you. Uh, which tribe of Israel handled the religious duties? God assigned one tribe to take care of all the uh, temple and the tabernacle and all the religious priesthood things. What tribe was that? We'll give you the answer at the end of the program. Uh, looks like you drew the first one today, Toby, so I did. get us going. Okay. Have you ever asked the question, a friend told me sheep won't drink from running water. Where is that found? Uh, well, initially I thought that was kind of an unusual question. I'm not sure that I had heard that before, but I did a little research and uh, there are lots of uh, study guides and devotional books around a very well-known psalm. And it has to do with Psalm chapter 23. And uh, that won't, it's not, I'll pull up on the screen in just a minute, at least part of it. But I'm going to read for you probably what many of you have heard and maybe even know from memory. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. And of course, some translations say, lead me beside still waters. And so some have dug into that and uh, done a little research on shepherding and the behavior of sheep and that they will not, they avoid running water. And supposedly it's a danger to them because of their wool and they get in there and it's a more of a danger for them drowning and uh, all of that. And I do not come here to you today as an expert on all things sheep, so I can't say for sure that that's 100% true all of the time. Uh, it would make sense uh, to some degree, but I think that the larger point of Psalm chapter 23, sometimes we can get bogged down in the weeds a little bit and, and obsessed with details of certain scriptures, and that's, you know, some people enjoy the hobby and the study and all of that, but uh, we don't want to miss the big point of what David is writing as a shepherd himself uh, concerning the Lord God. 
what he's saying here is what what I do for these sheep on a daily basis is what God does for me and for all of us. Uh, he's a good shepherd. He takes care of us. He does what's best for us. The sheep need him and rely on him uh, for their sustenance, for their protection, for their guidance. And it's just a beautiful picture of, of no doubt something that David saw and did on a daily basis and and got a picture of God and gave us a beautiful picture of God as the true good shepherd. So uh, it may or may not mean that uh, sheep avoid running water and that they like only the, the still unmoving water. Uh, but what is true is that the good shepherd always does what is best for the sheep. Now we will look at that uh, those verses on the screen. Psalm 23, 1 through 3, The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for His name's sake. God has great purpose and great love for the sheep. And uh, that's what Psalm 23 is all about. All righty. i got a question about uh, textiles here. What is sackcloth? Well, sackcloth is in the Bible, mentioned, and sackcloth is bad stuff is pretty much the best way to summarize it. It's a garment made out of uh, goat's hair, uh, black goat's hair usually, and it's very uncomfortable, and it's itchy. So, And if you think, well, why would anybody make something like that? Well, sometimes that's all they had, but basically the uncomfortable part is the idea of it. The Bible talks about Old Testament saints uh, repenting and mourning in sackcloth and ashes. And that was the custom. When you were really mourning and uh, or repenting from some great sin, uh, you'd put on sackcloth and make yourself uncomfortable. You'd sit in ashes and put ashes on your head and make yourself uncomfortable. Uh, so that's what sackcloth is. Uh, Today there's a term, a hair shirt, and uh, some monks and other uh, people in monasteries and things sometimes wear a hair shirt uh, to mortify the flesh is the idea. If you make your flesh uncomfortable, that draws you closer to God somehow. Uh, so that's what sackcloth is. Uh, doesn't sound like a very good idea to me, but people did it in the past, and there's some that still repent or uh, try to communicate with God by uh, putting on sackcloth or a hair shirt. So uh doesn't appeal to me, but that's what it is. <laughs> well, that's the way it is sometimes, yeah. A uh, viewer asked the question, uh, The lesson says faith alone can't save, but I know people who are not able to do any works. Okay, well, first of all, I'll address the, the lesson they're referring to is probably the Bible Correspondence course that we encourage people to sign up for every episode because we want you not just to think about and study the things that other people have asked us and that we present to you, but we believe in Bible study on your own, uh, learning the Word of God and reading it and studying it and meditating on it for yourself and certainly applying it. So I appreciate that the viewer is involved with that. And uh, they ask about this idea of faith alone, a doctrine 
that seemed to originate with Martin Luther uh, in response to a very works-based theology uh, that was being uh, taught at the time. It was very popular. And he said, no, 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 we, we're going the other way. Faith comes, or uh, righteousness uh, comes from uh, God alone, uh, by grace alone, through faith alone, uh, in Christ alone. And uh, it, on the surface, it sounds pretty good. Uh, and there, there is a, a certain way w- in which we understand that our salvation is from God. Christ is from God. He, all of the things he's done for us, the righteousness was his, which was imputed to us. Uh, we get that, and it, that is by grace through faith. The problem is the idea or the understanding of the word faith. Uh, biblically speaking, when the uh, scriptures use the word faith, it, it, it includes a, an action, a response. Uh, um, when when um, Abraham was called up and he said, uh, go up and, and sacrifice Isaac on the mountain, uh, he went. Uh, he trusted God. He, now, Isaac was his only heir, and God had promised him that he'll have numerous uh, descendants, uh, more than the stars in the heavens and the sands on the shore. And yet, his only son, God called him to sacrifice. Well, he didn't understand that, but he trusted God. That was a faith. And then he took Isaac and he went. And, and that faith included that active response. Every person, uh, men and women of, of faith, have showed that faith by what they do. Some people say, well, faith is not a a work. We don't want to get into works-based theology, trying to earn our salvation. And so this creates the the, the problem that the viewer brings up. Uh, Faith is trust and action. Uh, Let's look at James chapter 2, verse 24 on the screen. Uh, James says, you see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. If we give a little more context to the whole chapter of James, really the whole book of James is about taking what you believe and letting that impact your life. Uh, when when you believe in Jesus, uh, he loves you just as you are, but he refuses to let you stay there. And he transforms you, begins to change your life and how you talk and how you think and, and the, the way in which you go about your life. And that's what James is saying here uh, from all throughout salvation. Faith is shown by the evidence of your life and by your actions. And um, now you bring up a sort of a what if, uh, an exceptional, well, I've got a person who can't do these works. Maybe you're talking about maybe they're a a mute and they're unable to confess that Jesus is Lord with their mouth. Or maybe they're, um, you know, for some reason unable to be baptized into Christ as he commanded. Okay, well, you know what? God is the perfect judge of all of that. And he is going to handle all of those exceptional cases exactly right. Now, some people ask that those kind of what-if questions in all sincerity. They do know someone who can't do the things which God has commanded, and they want to know what to do. And I, our answer to that is God will handle that exactly right. Uh, we've had you know, people who are on their deathbed, unable to, to be baptized into Christ, and you know the best they could do is say, I believe, uh, I do trust Him, that's all I can do. And God's going to handle that exactly right. Uh, but some people come up with hypotheticals and, and, and use that to try to 
to leverage an argument to say, well, if it's possible that God could save outside of what he's commanded, then shouldn't that apply toward everyone? Doesn't this mean that we don't have to do what the scripture clearly says to do? And we'll never side with that. The Bible's clear about what faith in Christ requires and, and that that is a response and you show that response by what you do. Uh, I hope that helps a little bit, but don't, uh, don't ever let the exceptional uh, case or the what if uh, become the rule that's, that violates what the Scripture says. hope All that right. helps. Thank you, Toby. Uh, let's talk about a good way to study the Bible. We study a little bit here with you each week, but we've got some tools to help you study the Bible at home, and we think they're uh, a great way to get to know your Bible. This first set or lessons we've been offering for years uh, is a good introductory set. starts with the Old Testament and the New Testament. Once you get through those eight lessons, We've got some more advanced courses that you can go through, and we are, for the first time, beginning to offer some online courses that uh, we think are a new way to study the Bible. Uh, there are some print lessons also, but you can also take these lessons on your home computer or your mobile phone, for that matter. Uh, just respond to that website there, oneway.worldbibleschool.org, and your request will come to us, and we'll get you started hooked up with a study helper, and you can work through those lessons anytime you want, wherever you are. So we think that's a great new innovation, and uh, we're looking forward to a whole new group of Bible students online. So uh, respond to that, or if you want the old print lessons, uh, give us a call on the phone number or the website that we have there on your screen. Uh, we'll get you started, and uh, you can study the Bible and know your Bible a little better. All right, I got an interesting question. What's the Bible say about slavery? And the reason that's interesting is because uh, this has been a big argument, especially back in the 1800s. Uh, Christians were the ones who got slavery abolished. They were the abolitionists, uh, but people in favor of slavery uh, also use Bible verses to prove that it's okay to own slaves. So people on both sides of that argument uh, use the Bible. So what does the Bible say about slavery? And a little careful study, I think, will reveal something very interesting. Uh, the kind of thing we think of as slavery, uh, the African slave trade, uh, slave traders going to Africa and kidnapping people, uh, bringing them to America or England or all over the world and selling them as slaves. The Bible condemns that. The Bible condemns that very strongly. Exodus chapter 21, 16 says anyone who kidnaps a person and sells him shall be put to death. Uh, the Bible's against that kind of slavery. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 8 through 10, in the list of all the unrighteous and the sinful and the ungodly are slave traders. Uh, anybody that does that kind of slavery is ungodly. It's unrighteous. So the Bible condemns that. But then the Bible also has verses that regulate and acknowledge owning people. And to really understand that, uh, we got to understand that in the Old Testament times especially, it was more of an economic thing. It was more of a social status in some ways. But uh, when you captured an enemy, uh, they became servants. Uh, but the Bible has rules about how to treat them and treat them well. 
bond servants is a term that Paul uses a lot. Uh, and the, the key to understanding that is people voluntarily became slaves. If they couldn't support their family, if they couldn't pay their debts, sometimes they would voluntarily become a bound servant, a bond servant, uh, to someone that could keep them and pay for them and feed them and pay their debts and all of that. Uh, so that was a voluntary thing, and the Bible regulates it. It tells owners how to treat their uh, slaves, their bond servants, and to treat them well. Uh, here's a key verse I think that might help you understand more than any other verse. Deuteronomy chapter 15. Here's the regulation that God laid down. Uh, Deuteronomy 15 verse 12. If a man or a woman sells himself to you and serves you six years, in the seventh year you must let him go free. And when you release him, don't send him away empty-handed. Supply him liberally from your flock, your threshing floor, and your wine press. Give to him as the Lord your God has blessed you. Well, see, that doesn't sound like our concept of slavery, does it? It sounds more like an employee and a profit-sharing program than a slave owner, slave trade kind of thing. Uh, so God acknowledges that some people would voluntarily become bond servants, and you can work them for six years and treat them well, but when they leave, uh, give them a share of the profits that they've earned for you and treat them well. So the Bible does say about both things. Uh, it condemns what we think of as slavery, but it does acknowledge that there were some situations where people owned other people for a while. So hope that explains what the Bible says about slavery. All right. If you were asked a question about their pets, dogs can go to heaven. Is that real or made up? <laughs> well, I guess it depends on um, if you're asking if that's real or made up by people or uh, real or made up by the scriptures. Uh, this is a sensitive question. We get it, oh, I would say fairly regularly on the program. Um, people want to know, will their pets be in heaven? Do animals go to heaven? And my answer to that has sort of been always siding with Solomon. Uh, in Ecclesiastes 3.21, he said, Who knows uh, if the spirit of the man goes upward and the uh, spirit of the beast goes down into the earth? Who knows? Uh, and that's, that's exactly right. We are not told. In fact, we're not given a lot of details into heaven except that uh, it's going to be so amazing uh, that those who've even got a glimpse of it say it is beyond our ability to even describe or, or really understand. Um, it's a perfect place, and that what makes it perfect is not what's there, but who's there. Uh, that, that, that the dwelling of God at long last is with human beings, and that's what makes heaven beautiful and perfect. And so we, we sort of dream up all sorts of things. Uh, actually, yesterday I was uh, walking through a, a snow-covered parking lot, and the thought just hit me. I thought, I wonder if there are seasons in heaven. I wonder if, you know, the, the beautiful changes we see here on earth from the fall leaves to the, the gentle snow that covers the ground, uh, will, will there be that kind of change in heaven? Will there be snowy days and, and all of that? The Bible just doesn't say. Uh, it just says it's going to be perfect, 
And so uh, our, my answer to that, and I think really our answer for a long time, is, is that if, uh, if God knows that our dogs and animals need to be in heaven for it to be a perfect place, then they will be there. Uh, he will provide everything necessary that makes it perfect. But again, we want to emphasize all throughout the Scripture what makes the perfection and the beauty of heaven uh, has less to do with the what and more to do with the who. Uh, and that is God Himself. So the Scripture does not say specifically. I can't tell you if it's real or made up. I know some people think that's they've just got to be there and they just will not be happy without Him. And uh, all I can tell you is God's going to make exactly the right decision about how the eternity with Him uh, will be experienced. <laughs> I think he'll take care of that just fine. He absolutely will. All right, along the wrong animals, let's go a little <laughs> further here and talk about eating swine. Uh, the Bible condemns the eating of swine. So why is it okay to eat swine today? Well, uh, when I talked about the Bible correspondence courses that we have, that first set, that if you notice, starts with the Old Testament and the New Testament. And understanding the difference between those two uh, answers a lot of questions. And that's the simplest answer to this question. <clears throat> Why is it okay today? Because the condemnation of eating swine is in the Old Testament. And we're not under the Old Testament anymore. Uh, we're under the New Covenant. So that's the simplest answer. <clears throat> now, uh, God had dietary rules of a lot of them, we believe, were for health reasons, and we know today that uh, pork is one of the more dangerous meats if you don't care for it right and don't get it cooked right. Uh, you get trichinosis, so uh, God made health rules about some of those kind of things, we believe. Uh, but the Old Testament did condemn it, but very clearly the New Testament uh, uncondemns it, I guess, is not a word, but it makes it okay. Let's look at just a couple of verses, and I think you'll see clearly what I mean. Mark chapter 7 and verse 19, Jesus was talking to the Pharisees about clean and unclean foods, and he said, it isn't what goes in your mouth that makes you unclean. And then Mark puts in parentheses and says, in saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. So if you want to know why it's okay to eat pork today, because Jesus said so. Then in Acts chapter 10 and 15, uh, God told Peter, don't call anything impure which God has made clean. And he was talking about the Gentiles, but he was also using a picture of clean and unclean animals. And Peter said, no, I'm not going to eat an unclean animal. And he was told, don't you call it unclean if God says it's clean. So once again, God declared all foods clean. Uh, here's the clearest one maybe in Colossians chapter 2. And this is what that whole argument was about. And Paul said, therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are the shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. So don't let anybody tell you you can't eat a certain food is what uh, Paul said about it. So that's why it's okay to eat swine today. And on top of that, it's really good. So, <laughs> All right. Let's talk about, our, uh, let me invite you to visit the Church of Christ near you. We try to mention a few each week that help support this program and keep us on the air. Today, let's mention a couple. Uh, one is the Eastwood Church of Christ in Hutchinson, which you see a picture of their building there in Hutch. 
uh, great <clears throat> partners with Know Your Bible and uh, have supported us for a long time. And then the St. John Church in uh, uh, St. John, Kansas, great group of folks there have also been longtime supporters of uh, Know Your Bible. So if you live in one of those communities, uh, drop in and visit them. Or maybe you know a member at the church in uh, Hutch at Eastwood or St. John. Tell them you heard about them on Know Your Bible, and you appreciate them keeping us on the air. All right, tell me, what do you got here? Well, a question about baptism. A viewer asks, who is qualified to baptize someone? And we do see many examples of people being baptized uh, into Christ. And, of course, that's what Jesus himself commanded, uh, that that's part of, of, of showing that you believe and trust in Christ by simply doing what he said. He commanded that in Matthew chapter 28 and Mark chapter 16, and we see it all throughout the book of Acts. In fact, we don't see anyone becoming a Christian uh, without being baptized. Uh, the scripture has lists several examples. I went through those examples and determined that uh, there not much is really said about who did the baptizing. Uh, sometimes, uh, as in Acts chapter 2, uh, Peter uh, commanded, repent and be baptized, uh, all of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Verse 41 says, uh, those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. So, uh, not nothing is told to us about who did that, whether it was the apostles themselves or uh, not exactly sure. Uh, Acts chapter 8 is another example, Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. Now, in this case, Philip explained to him the prophecies from Isaiah and told him that that was referring to Jesus himself, told him no doubt about Jesus and what Jesus commanded him to do. The, the eunuch responded, well, what keeps me from being baptized? And Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And so they both went down into the water and Philip baptized him. And so in that case, we know. But we don't have any list of qualifications. We don't have a spelled out about who may or, or may not. Um, reason would say that it probably... It should be someone who understands the importance of being baptized and what's happening and why it's happening. Uh, I think that would, to me, uh, as someone who's been baptized, a Christian uh, who understands what it's all about. And certainly if you're studying with someone, uh, it's good to have uh, uh, someone who can help can show you the truths of Scripture, and they can do that. But the Scripture really just doesn't say uh, as far as who is qualified. So that's the answer to your question, and I hope that's helpful. All righty. Well, let's just stick with baptism for a little while here. A viewer wants to know, was John the Baptist baptized? And that may be something that you've never thought of before, but uh, the Bible just doesn't say again. Uh, there's no mention of it. Uh, bear in mind that John the Baptist lived and died under the Old Covenant. Uh, so you might as well ask, was Abraham baptized? Was Moses baptized? Was David baptized? Well, no, because baptism wasn't a command then. Uh, they lived and died and were justified <coughs> by faith. Uh, when they did things to obey what God had told them, that justified them. It was counted as righteousness, the Bible tells us. So as far as we know, John the Baptist wasn't baptized, uh, may have been, but the Bible didn't see fit to record that or tell us anything about it. All right, let's take this moment and uh, answer our trivia question. What tribe of Israel handled the religious duties? Well, there were 12 tribes and the tribe of Levi. 
uh, was the one that was picked to handle all of the religious work. The priests had to come from the tribe of Levi. Uh, they did all the tabernacle and temple details. And you can read their job description in the book of Leviticus. It's kind of boring, but you can read it. It gives all the details of what the priests were supposed to do. So the tribe of Levi did that. We're glad you've been with us today and uh, hope you come back next week because we're going to try to answer some more of your questions then. Until then, we're going to hope you have a great week. Know Your Bible has been presented by the Churches of Christ in your area. Churches of Christ are non-denominational and each congregation is an independent group of Christians seeking to do God's will. Our goal is simple New Testament Christianity. We follow the Bible as our only guide. Contact us with any questions, and we encourage you to visit a Church of Christ near you.